The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning. Welcome to Morgan Hill Bible Church. We are in week two of a series that we're calling Empowered, studying the Holy Spirit and the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in our lives. We kicked this series off last week. Just a quick overview in case you weren't able to make it or you forgot somehow suddenly that I said last week, not that you would do that, but maybe someone sitting next next to you would. Um, One of the things we talked about is how the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not just like God, does not just represent God, but the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity and is God, which is astounding because then we looked at how the Holy Spirit indwells, makes his permanent residence in the home, in the heart of every single believer. So when you place your faith in Jesus for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells, makes his permanent home. It's called, that's why it says that your body is a temple. God's presence now lives inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit empowers and gives us power for the life that we need to follow after him. This morning, we're going to look at three ways that we can experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, theology, and as we study who the Holy Spirit is and this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, isn't just meant to be knowledge that we have in our heads, but to be lived out in our lives. And we're supposed to understand the difference on what this teaching makes practically for us every single day. And so today we're going to look at three different ways that we can and should experience the power of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. The first way that we can experience the Spirit is is through understanding this, that the Spirit is the seal of our salvation. The Spirit is the seal or the guarantee of our salvation. There's three different passages in the New Testament that clearly talk about this. First, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And 2 Corinthians 1 says this, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In 2 Timothy 1, it says this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now there's different words that are used and depending on your translation, it may vary slightly. The, the word has some overlap of meaning of seal, of an earnest, of a deposit, but it's something that you have that guarantees a fuller experience that is to come. Now, we still kind of get this idea of an earnest or a deposit because we still use this language in our world today. If you've ever bought a house, you know that typically when you buy a house upon making your offer, what do you present with it? You present some amount of earnest money, right? To show that you're serious about the house. And so oftentimes with it, you'll put a few thousand dollars depending on how much of earnest money with your offer is kind of a down payment to show that you want the house. Now, does your house cost a few thousand dollars? No, we live in California. It costs a few million dollars 
to buy a house here, right? It is not the full expense, but it's the, the start, the deposit for it. A similar idea, if you're, if you're applying or about to head off for college, you send out all your college applications, you get your acceptance, you get your financial aid figured out, and then to secure your spot at the university or college you want, you typically have to send a few hundred dollar deposit to the place. Now, is that couple hundred dollars all that pays for your college graduation? Your parents are like, no, no, it is not. Trust me, it is not all that pays for the grad, for your college. But with just a few hundred dollars, that is a guarantee of your spot. That you are now guaranteed a spot because you've put this down. See, with the Holy Spirit being the seal or the guarantee of our salvation, it reminds us that there is more to our salvation than what we currently experience. We're, we're caught in the middle of this already, not yet tension. In a sense, we already experience salvation. We've, we've experienced forgiveness of sin. We, we've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit now living within us. But there's still more to come. The older I get and the more I read about the resurrection body, I'm like, yep, I want that. 20 years ago, I didn't care about that. Now I'm like, yes, please. Give me some more of that in my life, please. I can't wait until I get that. I can't wait until we see the whole earth, all of creation, redeemed and renewed and made right by God. Can't wait till that day when all sin and pain and suffering is removed by God. And what guarantees that we will have this? What guarantees this full experience of salvation? It's the gift of the Spirit now that guarantees our, our salvation ultimately. See, this is how amazing salvation is, right? We get that in salvation, salvation is a gift of God, what Jesus did for you on the cross through his death and then his resurrection from the dead. All you have to do is place your faith, believe, put your trust in Jesus. But if it were up to a lot of us, myself included, if we were to think, okay, if that's how I receive salvation, what guarantees this full experience of salvation in the future? We would typically add something like, well, then you got to go to church. You got to read your Bible enough. You got to pray enough. You got to give enough. You have to share the gospel. Those are all good things. But notice that's not what your salvation depends on. We often turn our salvation into moralism is what guarantees our future salvation. No, what guarantees not just your salvation now, but in the future is the Holy Spirit inside of you. Get that? Even the guarantee of your salvation is not your doing. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that God gives to us. See, one of the primary works of the Spirit in our lives is providing for us the inward assurance that we are God's children. That the Holy Spirit provides for you the confidence, the assurance, and the hope that comes from knowing that you are part of the family of God. Romans 8 puts it this way, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Notice what he's saying, what we don't receive. We don't receive a spirit of slavery, of of having to do more, of achieving now all of this huge requirement of moralism in our lives. Because if that's the spirit that we had, what does that lead to? Fear. 
right? It leads to fear that we haven't done enough. We haven't achieved enough. We haven't accomplished enough. But contrary to that, we've received the Holy Spirit, which reminds us of our adoption as sons. It says sons there because in their time, sons were those who received an inheritance. But in our time, we could say adoption as sons and daughters, as full members of the family of God. Now, this week I did a little Googling and I looked up the adoption rights of kids in the state of California. And I came across this one law firm, which I love how they put it. And I thought that helps us understand the biblical concept so well. It says, when you are adopted, it is a once and for all declaration with permanent consequences for the rest of your life. I thought, isn't that exactly what salvation and adoption into the family of God is? A once and for all thing with permanent consequences. See, according to the law here in California, an adopted child has every single right that a biological child also has. According to the law, there is zero distinction between an adopted child and a biological child. In the eyes of the law, they are one and the same. And when we've received this spirit of adoption, we understand that we are part of the family of God. It gives us confidence and hope. That because of what Jesus has done for us, he has made a permanent change in our lives. A once and for all declaration that you and I are now part of the family of God. See, the assurance of our salvation rests not on our performance, but on the Spirit's presence and witness in our lives. There are seasons for every single one of us where we wonder if we have been adopted. Where we wonder, am I truly saved? Have I experienced this love from God? Is this salvation true in my life? And maybe you've experienced this at times, maybe you haven't before. But if you're in that place now, where you said, I've placed my faith in Jesus, I I just, I'm not sure. One thing I would encourage you to do is to pray that the Spirit would remind you and assure you of God's love for you. That's one of the primary things that the Spirit can do is remind you, you don't have to live in fear. That's not what you've received. You've been adopted into God's family. You have confidence and hope. And the spirit inside of you bears witness to that fact. The second way that we can experience the Holy Spirit is that the spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays for you and for me. It says this in Romans 8. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Why is that such an amazing thing that the Spirit prays for us? Well, there's, there's three insights in that passages on why it's so amazing that the Holy Spirit actually prays, intercedes before God the Father for you. First is this, it says at the end that he prays for us according to the will of God because we need help living God's will. The Holy Spirit praying for you is an incredible thing because you and I need help living God's will for our lives. Now, God's will is not this mystical plan of like where you're going to go and when you're going to move where and how many kids you're going to have and who you're going to marry. In the Bible, the will of God is your sanctification, your holiness, that in every circumstance you would become more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit prays for you that in every situation you face, that you would use those, that you'd be strengthened by everything in your life to ultimately become more like Jesus. 
And the Holy Spirit actually prays for us that we would understand and live according to the will of God in our lives. The second reason that it's so incredible that the Spirit prays for us is simply this. We are ignorant. I hate to break that to you this morning if that's news for you, but you're ignorant sometimes. Notice what it says there. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. And isn't that the truth? Sometimes don't you just sit down to pray and you're like, I don't even know how to pray in this situation. I don't know what to pray for. As I thought of of people asking for things and not understanding how to ask for, pray as we ought, I think, hey, this is something certainly that every parent gets, that your kids do not ask for things as they ought to ask for them. Right, depending on which stage of life, it's different. You know, if you have a, a little one, like like I'm in the stage of, it's like, no, you cannot have ice cream for breakfast. I'm sorry, you do not ask for things that you want. You can't just have cookies all day long. You have to eat some fruit and vegetables. I'm sorry, this is a painful thing. Right? I'm sorry, you can't stay up till midnight tonight. I know you really want to, kid, but you're going to bed. Mom and dad are tired. You're not, but we are. You're going to bed. Right? You do not know what to ask for, and it gets it shifts as it gets older. Mom, Dad, I need a brand new car for my 16th birthday. You do not know what to ask for as you are. You don't need a brand new car. You can have this hand-me-down clunker that will get you from point A to point B, right? You, you don't know what to ask for as you ought. See, the amazing thing is even when we pray, but we're not sure what to ask for, so we just try and pray to God. The Spirit takes what I call our quote-unquote bad prayers. Even when we pray for things that we shouldn't or don't need to be praying for, the Spirit takes our bad prayers and intercedes before God on our behalf. See, it's better to pray a bad prayer, something you're not sure, an inarticulate prayer to God, than to not come to Him at all. Because the Spirit takes, even when we don't know what to say, we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit takes that and intercedes on our behalf. He takes the groanings of our heart that we don't even understand, and he prays for us. The third reason why it's so astounding that the, the Spirit prays for us is not only are we ignorant, we are weak. We are weak. Look at the beginning of that verse in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. See, there are times, not just that we don't know what to pray for, but there's times when the pain, the grief, the hurt is too much that when we go to pray, we don't even have words. That you don't even have words because the hurt and the pain in your life is so real. You go to God and you you can't even get anything out. All you can do is sit there in silence and maybe tears and you don't know what to say. You're so weak, you can't even formulate anything. What's amazing is, is that in those moments when you are too weak to even pray for yourself, the Spirit is the one who in that moment intercedes for you to God. That God sees your weakness, he sees your hurt, he sees your pain. The psalmist put it this way, you have kept count of my tossing, my, my, wait, my sleepless nights. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? In other words, God, God sees every sleepless night you had. He understands every tear you've ever cried. And sometimes for us, this is a reminder that a wordless prayer is sometimes the most powerful things we can pray. That when we are weak and we come and we don't even have words to say, the Spirit in our weakness prays on our behalf to God. In your weakness, don't run from God, run to God. 
So often in our weakness, we run and we try and hide from God. In your weakness, run to God. You don't have words, that's okay. Run to God. The Spirit will pray for you, even when you don't know what to pray. So the Spirit prays for us. The third activity that the Spirit does that we can experience in our life is that the Spirit fills us. The Spirit fills our lives. It's this progressively more intense, more intimate influence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Ephesians 5 puts it this way, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a a command of being filled, an ongoing command that we should seek in the life of every single Christian, an ongoing need to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We never live without this need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, we talked about last week, and we even referenced it today in some of the passages we read, on how the Holy Spirit indwells, right? He takes up permanent residence inside the home of every believer. So, so what are you saying? Are you saying that the Holy Spirit permanently lives inside the believer? Or are you saying that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. I'm saying both. You know, how does that make sense? If, if, we're, if we're indwelt, if we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in us, what does it mean? How does it look like to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit in our lives? We have an illustration for us this morning that I actually heard for the first time in a junior high youth group about 10 plus years ago. Now you may be saying, junior high youth group? We're not junior hires. Well, some of you are. But, but the, the, the guy who taught one of my interns, Dan, just finished his PhD in theology a few weeks ago. I texted him this week. He said, yep, the illustration still works. So, so we'll stick with it. All right, imagine you. This is you. You didn't know it, but this is you, this glass of milk. I'm knocking the tree over. There it goes. That almost happened first service, so I'm just glad I got out of the way second service. You place your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is is represented in this illustration by chocolate syrup. You're liking where this is going so far, right? So this is you. You've placed your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit now comes, and he indwells your life. He lives inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. But notice, the Holy Spirit hasn't invaded every single part of your life. Now, it's fully there. Right? The chocolate syrup is fully there, but, but it's still, it's not invading every single part. And so the filling of the Spirit is where the Spirit comes and He fills and He starts to move into different areas of our life that we haven't allowed Him to. And as we continue to pray for the filling, it fills more and more throughout our lives. Now, what happens with even the syrup, but especially if you're cheap and you buy that powder stuff, that tastes, that tastes horrible, by the way, but If you buy the powder stuff, what happens is even after you've stirred it all the way up, eventually it will start to separate again. And what do you have to do to get a drink? You have to stir it once again. You have to fill it more and more. See, when we we ask for the, the fulfilling or the filling of the Spirit in our lives, it's not that we need more of the Spirit, but that the Spirit starts to get more of us. It's not that you get more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit starts to get more of you. So when we use languages like, I want more of you, God, I want more of the Holy Spirit, it's not that we're lacking God, we're not that we're lacking the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we recognize there's areas in my life that I still haven't experienced him, that I still need more of the Holy Spirit. I need him to fill me more and more, even though, yes, I have him, but I need to to have a greater experience, a greater filling of the Spirit in my life. As John put it in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
We need an increase of the Spirit in our lives. So how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can, as, as Paul said in Ephesians 5, how can we experience this filling of the Spirit in our lives? Well, a few different ways for us this morning. First way to be filled with the Spirit is to seek to know Jesus more. To, to seek to make it a mission of your heart to know Jesus more. One of the primary ministries of the Spirit is he grants us insights into seeing Jesus. He magnifies the Son. And if it's your heart's desire to know, to understand, to learn, to worship, to love Jesus, the Spirit will fill you to exalt Jesus in your life. In fact, that's how the Spirit, when the filling of the Spirit is used in the book of Luke. The filling of the Spirit occurs in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which, if you know, is written by the same author. And I love summarizing the filling of the Spirit in the book of Luke. Author Jack Deere, who wrote the incredible book, Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit, he writes this. In Luke's gospel, only three people are filled with the Holy Spirit. A baby in his mother's womb, that was John the Baptist, that baby's elderly mother, and an elderly priest, the baby's father. And they all do the same thing when they are filled. They see what no eye can see. They are dazzled by the beauty of what they see. And the Holy Spirit empowers them to show us that Jesus is the Christ. See, the Spirit filled them. And what was the result of their filling? They saw the beauty of Jesus. And if you want the Spirit to fill you, make it your heart's aim and desire to know Jesus more, to see his beauty, to recognize his love, and the Spirit will fill you in new ways so you'll have fresh eyes to see and to know even more the depths of the love and the beauty of Jesus in your life. Another way to be filled with the Spirit is to understand the role of emotion in your faith. To understand the role of emotions in Christianity and in your faith. Now, one of the things that I really love about Morgan Hill Bible Church is we are a non-denominational church. And some of you don't even know what that means. That's okay. You're welcome here. But for a lot of us, if you go to a denominational church, meaning a Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist, most of the people there will have lived most of their lives in the same denomination. And I love that here that's not the case. But as J.I. Packer puts it, we are all beneficiaries and victims of tradition. We're all beneficiaries of tradition, and we're also all victims of tradition. There's some of you who come from denomination or church backgrounds that are far more expressive and charismatic, some would say, and you don't have any problem with the role of emotion in your faith or in your worship. And then there's some of us, myself included, that come from less expressive denominations, you could say. Hi to all the Baptists and Presbyterians out there. Right? And like, we remember one time in church as a kid when someone like raised their hand like this and everyone was like, oh my goodness, look how expressive this worship is today. Right? And as a result, I don't think, I don't think bad intentions. And again, this is my upbringing. So I'm not at all bashing these churches or if this was your, the tradition in which you were raised. But what happened is there was, because of the suspicion of emotion, there was an overemphasis on the intellectual. The Bible is an intellectual thing. I have a master's degree in it. It's a good thing to study the Bible. There's intellectual reasons to believe in Jesus. But what often happened in those traditions is we were suspect of anything at all that was emotional. If it was emotional at all, it was bad. All we cared about is intellectual truth. Now, our faith does not rest on our emotional experience, absolutely, but it is deeply emotional, 
And so often I think why we haven't been filled with the Spirit is throughout Scripture often the filling of the Holy Spirit results in the overwhelming sense and love of the presence of God. And it's often a very emotional experience. That that the Spirit comes and reminds us of our adoption, reminds us of what Jesus did for us. It's an overwhelming sense of the love of God in our lives that's true with Scripture, but it's an emotional experience that the Holy Spirit can fill us up with. See, we know we are loved. We know we're loved by God, but there's times where we just feel it and we sense it to be true. That's when the Spirit is filling your hearts to remind you of how loved you are. So our faith doesn't rest on our emotions, but our emotions are involved in our understanding of following after Jesus. Another way to experience the filling of the Spirit is to start to live with gospel purpose. To start to live your life with gospel purpose. We talked about this last week, but you want to be filled with the Spirit. You want to experience the power of the Spirit in your life. Start living a bold life and sharing your faith with everyone you meet. Because that's in the book of Acts. In every occurrence where people are filled with the Spirit, it's directly tied to evangelism and sharing of their faith. When the Spirit comes and people are filled with the Spirit, it's because they're sharing the gospel. The first instance, there's five instances in in Acts of people being filled with the Spirit. In Acts 2, verse 4, the day of Pentecost, it says this, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts 4, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and preached with boldness. And later on in Acts 4, in Acts 4.31, it said this, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In Acts 9, we see Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, in Acts 13, many years later on his first missionary journey while he's on the island of Cyprus, it says that Paul was again filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to point out two things here. First, you see how the filling of the Holy Spirit is a further experience, not just the first time that we believe in our indwelt. Peter received the Holy Spirit with everyone else on Acts 2. Acts 4, he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. Twice we're told that Paul is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells us, but he wants to fill us, to empower us, to live lives of bold declaration of faith for Jesus. This is one of the times for me in my life where I regularly pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life is every Sunday when I get up to preach. So I've been doing this for 15 years, so I I recognize at this point one thing very clearly, that for God to show up and for a service to make a difference in anybody's life, it's not how well of songs Caleb can sing in the morning, it's not how good of a job Ben does on the announcements or prayer, and it's not how good of a sermon I put together. There's one thing that changes us when we gather together, and that's that the Holy Spirit is here and moves powerfully. I could get up with the best sermon I've ever had, but if the Spirit's not in it, it will not make a difference in anybody's life. It's only when the Holy Spirit shows up and moves that lives are changed forever. And you want to see the Spirit work in your life? Go out and start living for Jesus. And have every interaction think, how can I share and show the love of Jesus with this hurting person, with this neighbor, with this coworker, with this friend at school? Start living on mission for God, and you'll start to see the Holy Spirit show up over and over in your life. The final way that we can experience the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we have to be willing to surrender. That we have to be willing to surrender from our lives. See, the reason so many of us are scared of the Spirit's work in our lives is we're scared of surrender. 
See, we want to control what the Spirit has access to in our lives. But when we pray and when we ask God to fill us with His Spirit, He's going to ask us to surrender all that we are, all that we have to Him. So often throughout Scripture, there's different physical postures that are tied to worship. Right? And their physical movements showing a reflection of the heart. When you see someone kneeling in worship, it's showing what's going on. When we raise our hands in worship, it's, there's nothing magical that happens, but it's a, a physical uh, alignment of where our hearts are. I find it fascinating that when we think of a, the physical posture for receiving something, it's, it's like this. Right? Our hands, our arms are open. We want to receive something from someone else. We want to receive something from God. What's amazing is this is also the physical posture of surrender, of giving up of ourselves, of of giving over control of our lives to God. And some of us want to receive what the Spirit would have. We want to be filled with the Spirit, but we want to hold on. We want to hold on to our past. We want to hold on to our bitterness. We want to hold on to our sin. We want to hold on to control in our lives. And you cannot receive the filling of the Holy Spirit while trying to maintain control of your life. If you want to receive the Spirit, you have to be willing to surrender. If you want to be filled, you have to be willing to give up anything that God would ask of you. We cannot receive what the Spirit wants from us while continuing to hold on to control and sin and the things in our lives. We have to be willing to surrender. What do you need to surrender today? What are you holding on to that you need to openly give to God? Where in your life do you need to release control? Say, God, even this, I surrender to you. Would you stand with me as we pray together? God, we thank you that you have not left us to live this life alone, but have sent your Holy Spirit and he indwells the life of every believer. God, we thank you that, that he has sealed and guaranteed in our hearts that we are your children, that he prays for us in our moments of weakness, and that he fills us to live the life that you've called us to live. If you would simply place your arms outward with your hands in the air like this. And just pray that the Holy Spirit in this moment would fill your life and surrender what it is in your life that you've been holding on to. Give him control of your past. Stop holding on to to sin. Stop holding on to anger and bitterness, but surrender it to the Spirit today. Spirit, would you come and fill this place as you've done before? Would you move in our hearts? May we know the love that you have for us. May we understand the beauty and the glory of Jesus, the love of the Father for us. Spirit, would you fill our hearts, we pray, because we desperately seek you. We desperately need you in our lives. We're giving you all we have. We surrender all we have to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.